everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on today's cast are my two lovely co-hosts, Tiffany. Hello. And Dan. Hello. Before we dive into the show, just a quick reminder of where you can reach out to us. As always, we're on Facebook and Twitter at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com, and you can head over to our BGG Guild, number 2077, to chat more about our discussion topics. So let's talk about what we've been playing. What have you been playing? What is that? What have you been playing? Oh, well, I'm actually very excited to talk to you about this, Tiff, because I was able to get the Alien Deck Builder, uh, Legendary Encounters Alien, to the table. And I haven't suckered Dan into playing yet. I almost did yesterday, but we got caught up with Imperial Assault. But yeah, this game is awesome. I agree. I love it. Yeah, I think it's perfect. I love Alien, though, and I think you have to really love the movies to truly appreciate it. Yeah, so... I broke this out. We got uh, got four plays in of it since I got it on Christmas Day. And I've watched Alien 1, 2, and 3 over again. It's been a good Christmas break. Um, <laughs> but this game is a much better version of the Legendary System to start off with. Like, even aside from the Alien theme, I think just the fully co-op nature and the fact that it's not this semi-cooperative point-grabbing nonsense that Marvel Legendary did, it's just a much better game. And it's got... Uh, the systems in the cards, like the coordinate and the um, whatever it's called that lets you keep cards out turn to turn, like those, the introduction of those systems just make the game better itself, even without the theme. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it definitely improves. I don't like Legendary, and I like this. That's mm-hmm. what... I held off a little bit on buying it because I I always make fun of my friends when they play Legendary. I I think it's stupid, but <laughs> so I had to kind of just eat my words when I got this game. But I think it does a really good job of having a lot of theme for a deck builder, and I like the scanning mechanic a lot. I think that that adds the most thing where you can scan the monsters and see what's coming, so you know whether or not to destroy it, and you can destroy yeah. it before it's ready to kill you. It gives you an interesting challenge to the game of just like, okay, this is one more step we have to take before we can fight things. But also thematically with Alien, I mean, it's perfect because they're climbing through the rafters and they're in the med lab or they're, you don't know where they are. You just have like that little scanner with the beep, beep, beep until they're like right up on you and they attack you. So I've just been having a boatload of fun with this game. How do you feel about the artwork now that you've seen it? I, I think I like it. So some of it... There's multiple artists on the game, if I'm correct. There has to right? be, because from yeah. from deck to deck, it looks different. Yeah. So I I like a lot of it. Um, my favorite card is that full art Ripley card from the Aliens, the Alien Two deck. Her like big powerful card where she's in the the loader um, choking the the queen. But I I can see some kind of less. High quality. I don't know how do I say this nicely. There's some that are lower quality than others. I think there's a mix of art, and I don't think that it's all kind of uniform in quality. Yeah, it's not uniform, and that's what bothers me about it. <laughs> Just my OCD yeah. comes out when I look at the cards. It's not that to me the art all looks quality. It's just different style from yeah. from deck to deck. And uh, yeah, how long did it take you to separate out all your cards? <laughs> so I separated all the cards. This game is a pain in the butt to get ready and get to table because you open all these packs and they're all over the place and I didn't understand how to sort them and I sorted them once without knowing and then when I went to actually play it, I realized that I had sorted them all wrong and that was bad. Yeah, I had to look it up on the geek how to sort them. Yeah, I should have done that. Um, I also, I'm missing two cards. 
I contacted Upper Deck about it, and they're really good. They said, you know, we'll send them right out. But I was, I looked into the forums, and this is apparently something that's pretty common with this game. Somebody was missing 43 cards. An entire shrink wrap pack of cards was missing from their thing. So the quality assurance seems to be a little sketchy just from the forums I found. Um, I was able to find the cards and keep playing, so it wasn't a big deal. But I was a little bummed when I like count, I counted all 600 cards and was like, I'm missing two of these. Oh, now I'm going to have to go and count all my cards. You might want to check. Um, but either way, you know, not to, to go long-winded on it, this was a really fun game, and I'm really glad that I got it. So thank you to Dan for my Christmas present. It was very kind. Uh, and now Tiff and I can Skype this one. Oh, yeah. I'm it's really like a Christmas present to both of us. <laughs> That's what I do. Always happy to help. Are you going to play it, Dan? Give it a try. Come on. I'll play it. There's about 20 other things I want to play before it. But I'll play it. He was so open to playing it yesterday, and I, I missed the chance. Yeah. He was like, yeah, okay. And then he was, now he's like, no. It's because he was in his, like, Ameritrash mode with that Imperial Assault. Yeah, I almost had him. I wasted it on Pandemic the Cure. That's what I spent That's it on. That's folly. But, anyway, not to jump on what I've been playing. Tiff, anything else been hitting your table? Um. Well, it was my birthday, so I had some people over, and we played four games, um... Stone Age, Glory to Rome, Ancient World, and Medina. Uh, so I got a chance to play some of the things that I've been really wanting to play, but Glory to Rome is the thing I think I enjoyed the most. Um, I That game has been sitting on my shelf for a while. I bought a black box copy of it, and it's just beautiful and it's been sitting there because I've been too afraid to play it just I've heard a lot about how hard it is to teach and the barrier to entry (laughs) that it has so I've just kind of been waiting for the right moment and since we had all day and I had my favorite rules teacher uh, Chris Kopak there it was perfect and he taught it and I really I guess the rule book is probably just hard to read but the game itself to me wasn't as complicated as I was expecting it to be Um, if you don't know this game, definitely check it out. It's a great game. It's a little hard to find right now because it's out of print, but, um, it has multi-use cards. You're, you're trying to, the cards can represent people. They can represent materials to build buildings, and then they can represent buildings that give you special powers. So it's kind of, if you don't know exactly what's going on, the cards can look a little confusing, but I really like how they're used. Um, and, and I'm just so glad I got to play it. Very cool. Yeah, we still haven't gotten this to the table. Dan has a copy of this, but it just it hasn't popped up. I guess it's because of the rule book? Yeah, I just haven't had a chance to read it. Oh, so, okay. I mean, every time I start it, I get confused. And it seems like one of those games that would benefit from someone teaching. Yeah, it definitely is. I Actually, the thing that got me to understand the rules, not the rule book, was watching the Rado run through of it. Yeah? Yeah, I think it was Rado. Did you get dizzy? <laughs> I have a hard time sometimes with that shaky cam business, but he really does do a pretty decent job at running through a game. If you really need to learn something, I go to him occasionally. Yeah, it seems like this game might benefit from the visual. It definitely does. Cool. Well, I mean, hopefully we can get that to the table sometime. Can you teach us? I might actually be able to teach it at this point. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm, despite having a degree in teaching, not the best rules teacher. It's okay. For shame. Counterintuitive. Sorry, dude. What else What else did you play, Dan? I had a chance to play um, a Feld that I got a hold of. I'm kind of on this Feld streak lately because I, I haven't played many of his games, to be honest. And I thought I should probably try some to see what all the rage is about. Because you guys are always like 
join singing us. Singing high phrases to the felled gods. And I don't know. The first few I played, I didn't see it. Uh, Bruges, I'm not a fan of. I didn't like Rialto. Castles of Burgundy was good. Not one I would play a lot, but I did like that. Rialto is my least favorite. It's the bottom of, I think, most everybody's list of felds. So, sorry you had to play that. That's cool. So, like I said, I, I got off on the wrong foot, but I've been slowly working my way through some of uh, his other stuff. Um, probably, you could argue, some of his lighter stuff. Uh, La Isla, obviously I like. We've talked about that before. Uh, but one I just recently acquired was Notre Dame, and this is a really cool one. This was on a recommendation from Matt Riddle. Um, I picked it up on a whim. I needed, actually, to fulfill free shipping for a Christmas present, so I stuck it in there for myself. Merry Christmas to this guy. What you do in Notre Dame is, I don't know, like most fells, there's no damn theme, but (laughs) basically each player has a player board, they all kind of link together to form this cool-looking little city in the middle. Obviously, Notre Dame, it's Paris. Um, Every board is equal in the different districts within it. I think there's like nine different ones. And what you do is everyone has a hand of nine action cards, and there's nine rounds in the game. So what you'll do is on your turn, you're going to select a card. You draw three. You're going to select one of those three, put it face down. You're going to pass the other two to your left. So what happens is you're going to end up with three cards. Depending on the number of players, you're going to have different people's cards. So your selection takes into account what you want to do, but as well as what you might not want your neighbor or the neighbor next to him on his your left to do as well. And it's kind of a cool little drafting mechanic. And what you'll do is from those three cards, you're going to play two. They have different actions. You're dropping cubes in the various districts, and the more cubes you have strengthens the influence and therefore makes the action more powerful. For instance, when I play the card, which allows me to get a VP for every cube in that district, if I have three cubes in that district after I play a card, I get three VP. Next turn, if I play one, I put four cubes in there, or another cube, so I have four, I get four VP. So it's it's a constant snowball and escalation, um, and there's... You can't specialize. You have to kind of specialize because you can't really dominate all nine districts in your area. So you have to kind of pick and choose as the game dictates, uh, and it goes re- fairly quickly. I'd say this was our first try. We played with three, but I I think we were done in sixty minutes, maybe a little bit less. So I I really enjoyed it. Actually, I think I bump it above La Isla. What? Um, it's. <laughs> It's a perfect medium weight game. It's just, it's got the nice drafting. It's got some thinkiness on the, how you want to influence the different districts. I think Matt's really going to like it, uh, mainly for the drafting part of it, because I know you like drafting games, but it's, it's just a really cool little twist. Yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. It's, I think it's out of print, at least in this country. Um, I have the German edition. Rules are easy enough to find, but I got mine on, I think I got mine on Board Game Bliss. My favorite Canadian game store. Um, <laughs> eventually, they'll just sponsor us. Eventually, yeah. they'll listen to our podcast and see how much I love them. They'll catch on. But no, I, I highly recommend if you're a Feld fan and you haven't tried this one to give it a shot. It's not too heavy, but it's got a really good decision tree in it. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The board looks weird like La Isla. It's, well... It's got those weird cutouts that you put together, right? Yeah, it's another one of the weird kind of cutout where you kind of construct them. Uh, depending on the number of players, the middle piece is Notre Dame. So for three players, it's a triangle to connect your three boards. For four, it's a 
square, and then for five, it's a pentagon. Pentagon. I think you can play five. It, but it's just like easily you're putting together the board. But this one's a lot clearer. <laughs> it's got good good symbolism. Uh, it doesn't have that horrid dark green background. It's very kind of <laughs> dry. It's not that horrid. And all this has is like a pale cream background instead. Yeah, well, at least you can read a pale green. The, well, the other Isla one, happens like, in the jungle. No, it, it looks like to Isla took place on the head of a piece of broccoli. It's just a dark green, silly looking board. And granted, after a few plays, you just get used to it. But those first couple of plays were easy. Come on, Tiff. You had to have been looking at it going, what the hell is this? No, I didn't have that problem. You did. It was no, low I, at first. No, you did. no, it wasn't. I really wanted it. That's why La Isla is my favorite game. Because I, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, plastic pieces in a fell. This is crap. And I didn't want to like it. But after one play, I was sold. Either way, Notre Dame is language independent. There's no text on any of the cards. Um, and it's just, the, like I said, the symbolism is really clear. It's easy to understand and quick to pick up on. Nice. Two thumbs up. Stick it on your shelf. Oh, we're back to that again. I forgot about sticking on your shelf. Well, while I, or while you were playing Notre Dame, once again, our Crockpot Game Day in celebration of Tiff's birthday, uh, I had a chance to, I think I got two games to the table. During my whole entire birthday, only two games? Oh, no, no, no. We got a bunch of games to the table during Crockpot Game Day. But I'm trying to think, um, we had two separate tables and Dan was kind of like leading the Euro charge at one end, and I was kind of doing some other things at the other end. And I wanted to mix and match, but we got out of sync, and games were ending and starting at different times. Um, but one that I got to play actually twice that night was Paperback. And this was a game that I got Kelly B for Christmas, um, because she is a big word game fan. She loves Scrabble and Bananagrams and all kinds like that. So I saw this game and knew that this was a pretty game gamery game uh, that I could put under the tree and she wouldn't look at me funny um so this is a deck builder where essentially you're spelling words and (laughs) well does this interest you at all (laughs) (laughs) you said two words that immediately make me go no uh deck builder and word game yikes okay go ahead i'm sorry that's okay that's okay this is actually pretty fun i'm not particularly strong at word games um i find that even though I'm relatively educated, my vocabulary seems to become null and void when I start games like this. Um, and Kelly B is a champ. So when we got to this to table, I was like, she's going to kick my butt. She's going to love it. And I'm going to have to grind out a smile so that we keep getting to play games together. <laughs> um, but from a game standpoint, this is actually pretty interesting. Um, it's simplistic deck building. You start with a hand of a couple wild letters and then the Aura... R-L-S-T-N, like in uh, Wheel of Fortune. So you start with those letters, and all you're trying to do is spell words each turn. Um, and then you spell a word. Where letters have certain point values, which are basically your currency that lets you buy new letters from the middle. There's cards of different values. Um, and they have special abilities on them, like they let you draw extra cards, or they give you extra money to buy. And that's the basic mechanic. There are point cards, which is how you actually determine the winner The game will end when two stacks of those point cards are uh, finished, and those act as wilds as well. So you can buy these point cards a la Dominion, um, but they do contribute to your deck a little bit because you can use them as a wild letter. Um, It's pretty pretty simple, but I liked it. I I liked how kind of 
simplistic it was. It doesn't overcomplicate for a word game. There's nothing too weird to worry about. We got it to the table with my mom um, and Kel, who's not a big like heavy gamer, but likes word games, uh, and a couple other people. And everyone seemed to pick it up pretty quick. Everyone enjoyed it. Um, total, I've gotten four plays out of it, and we finally got the game under an hour. That was the only problem, is that the first time we played it, it took a while. Because to buy those point cards, you have to generate enough points to buy them, and we just were getting bad card draw, and just weren't able to generate like eight eight points to buy a point card. And that really dragged out the game. It, it kind of was unfortunate, but we worked it out. So I'm glad. It, how do you feel about this after hearing a little bit, Tiff? I don't know. I would play. I I play anything really. If yeah. if you brought it out and said we're playing this, I would play it. But generally, I just don't do well um, in in anything with a word game. Sorry, sorry. I just remember sitting there and you guys were like, "Oh, we're almost done. We're almost done." Kelly's about to win, and then like forty five minutes later, you finished. Well, we were able to get this game under forty five minutes when Ben, Melissa, Kel, and I played. Part of the reason was Anna took literally 10 minutes to take her turn one time. I timed her. 10 minutes. 10 whole minutes to take a turn. Um, because she wouldn't, she wanted to use all her letters and she wouldn't give it up. But anyway, you had interest in this game. Yeah. So I mean, I'm never enthused by deck builders, but this one looked interesting. I don't. I like word games and it kind of gave a little gamery aspect to the whole build a word with the whole deck construction. And I don't know much about it, but... Uh, I've heard good things about it, and I would try it. Yeah. But I didn't. I was a little bit put off by how long it took you guys, and that's why I was curious to hear why it took so long. Because I was playing something else. Well, it sounds like it's a little group dependent. Like my group is analysis paralysis prone, like you wouldn't even believe. So might not be a good game for them, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean it. It's vocabulary dependent, and then it's AP dependent on top of it. So even if you are good at spelling, if you're like trying to make the combos and use specific cards, you can get locked up. Or if you're not a great speller, which we we were all about, like we had iPads open and we're like, sure, if you want to look something up, like we're super cash about it. We're not hardcore Scrabble players. So if you wanted to look something up, that's fine. But that still takes time and kind of it it went longer the first time than I wanted it to. But like I said, we got it down to a really nice level. It went it went nice and quick. 45 minutes, and I won, too, which was Is it great. better than Scrabble? Because I love Scrabble. I hate Scrabble. I don't I don't think that Scrabble's fun because Scrabble is not about spelling words. It's about playing the board effectively, and I don't enjoy that. So That's the game. <laughs> playing yeah, the board. Yeah, but I just want to do... I just want to spell words when I play Scrabble. Oh. <laughs> Plus, Kel plays Scrabble with that. nine letters, and she's a weirdo. No one does that. She's like, I'm a great Scrabble player, and then she pulls out nine tiles. I was like, who the hell plays with nine tiles, Cal? A Scrabble is seven. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, you play with seven, and if you play all seven, you get bonus points. But yeah, so that's paperback. It was cool. I like to play it. We're going to break it out a bunch more because Cal really likes it, but uh, that was something that I got to the table. Are we doing more? Well, one game that I want to talk about, so we've, we've gone a little long on what we've been playing, but we've all now played Mysterium multiple times, and I think it's time that we talk about it. All right, let's talk about Mysterium. <laughs> Well, Dan explained the whole game on the last episode, but I can do the quick and dirty pitch of it. Sure, sure. <laughs> did I explain it? Yeah, you did. You did. When you were talking about the press release that um, got picked oh. up. So in Mysterium, you play as mediums at a haunted house, and you are communicating through dreams uh, with the ghost of 
this murder victim and you're, you're trying to solve the crime. You're trying to figure out uh, what the weapon was used, where it happened and who, who done it. Um, so you have to interpret the dream cards that the ghost is giving you and they can't talk to you and you're trying to figure all that out. Um, it's interesting and apparently no group ever plays it the same. So I'm kind of curious to see how it went for you guys. I know my group was very, it was so hard for us. I've played it four times now. Three is the ghost. Uh, I played one with just two people. Um, and that was on easy and that was just a breeze. They finished that in 15 minutes. It was, Oh wow. I'm not sure if it was a mix of just me getting good cards or just on easy. There's less choices in the middle of the table. So, um, I was also playing with my brother who I usually kind of connect with in these kind of games pretty well, as far as the, the weird crap that we think not of me, not me. <laughs> um, but um, so that was, that was kind of a bore, but then later that evening we played it, I think with the full comp, well, we played yeah. me as the ghost and then I had five, five other people around the table, Matt included. And that was hard as crap. Um, we played on normal, right? And we played that on normal. Yeah. I, I thought easy when we played earlier, I was like, ah, let's just, let's make it a little harder. And it was really difficult with the cards that I was given. Again, I got Mike through everything pretty easily. <laughs> he would think he was the only one to finish all three people in the seven rounds. Yeah, most of us got hung up on location. Everyone got hung up on location because there was, with that many people, there was nine out on the board. They're so similar. And there are a lot of similarities, and I just was stalling. I Windows figure and out. caves and all kinds of things. That's the I thing think. we ran into. Like, some of the clues, I'm like, clearly, this has a, I don't even know, this, but I, I misinterpreted every dream. As you start to play with the same people, I can see it getting a little stale after a while because I know now, like, anything as the boat, it's going to be the paddle. Like, when that comes out, like, there's certain things we've made the connection after, like, four games. Depending on who's playing. I guess switching up the ghost and switching up some of the players will, will keep it fresh. But we played it last night, and we played it twice. Me as the ghost, and then Matt as the ghost. And I failed to get them completed, I think part of the hang-up was just it was a first play for three people, and they were just kind of getting used to the, the symbolism and how I was getting about it. I got Matt through it quickly because I think Matt understood. Matt had a couple of things we had in other games. But, again, it's all so dependent on the dream cards you're given. And if you play on normal, you only get to discard those and redraw them once or three times per game, I think it is. Yeah, we played it on easy. And it was still hard, 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 hard for, I think it was one, two, three, yeah, five players. The thing with, the thing with playing on easy to, is you can start to just do process of elimination. It, it almost, that kind of gets a little boring after a while because it's like, oh, I guess this one. Nope, I guess this one. Oh, I get this one. Oh, I'm this guy. That takes like five rounds. So I literally had no good cards to give Dan to get him to guess the pan. But by the time, by the third time, he only had one other option and it was the pan so it was like oh well i'll just give him whatever card yeah. and he'll guess it everyone else had guessed their weapon and mm -hmm. there was two left and i had a 50 50 chance and i kind of just was like all right i'm gonna guess this one yeah so i don't know i liked playing it on normal for the challenge of it but it's still like you said it's very, very challenging on easy as well because matt got us all the way to the murder the murderer and we had a 50 50 shot and we blew it because yes you did Two of us interpreted one way, the other two of us interpreted what he was saying a different way. And and that is, I really wanted to play the ghost because I had played it 
That was my third time playing it as a player. They didn't believe me it was hard. <laughs> it's definitely hard. And I I absolutely loved sitting there and handing people cards to the best of my ability, really trying to lead them down the right road and just having them completely misinterpret. Um, and like the the table chatter as the go, like I was trying not to laugh and I was trying not to just like smirk. And Kelly B and I were so in sync. I would give someone a card and Kel would say, oh, I think it's this because of that. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm thinking. But then the person would be like, no, 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 no. I think it's this because of this. And I'm like, oh, no, this is so bad. And we're but, way convincing. And Kelly believes us all the yeah, time. So <laughs> I just I loved the table chatter when I was the ghost. I thought it was fantastic. Um, it, yeah, it was just it was cool. It's going to need cards, though. It's going to need an expansion of sorts or I'm going to buy the American version with the all new art kind of thing. Cause I could see starting to see certain cards over and over again. And like I said, if you play with the same group, you're going to be like, Oh, remember last time you played that. <laughs> Are they doing all new art for the dream cards? I thought they were just doing art for the characters and stuff. I think on Asmodee's Facebook page, they said they were doing art for the whole game and they were streamlining some of the rules. Oh, well, that'll be interesting. Do you think it'll be that it's more fun to play as the ghost player? I haven't played as the ghost. I no, I think they're both fun. I enjoy the ghost for the challenge of it. I think the gamer in me likes the ghost, but the social person in me likes the other side of the coin because then you're just kind of chatting with everyone and goofing, and so it's kind of funny because as the ghost, you can't talk, so. It's a very solitary and quiet experience. Oh, it sounds delightful. Uh, and if you smile or look at like something in the wrong, like you could give it away. So you have to be really stoic and kind of like stone faced. Oh, that was an awful ghost. That's you almost what have I to need. like dress like poker. <laughs> I liked them both. I think that after playing the investigator like a couple of times in a row, I was ready to switch it up and be the ghost. I wouldn't say I wanted to be the ghost every time though, because it's it can be frustrating to just like not succeed and be like i'm trying and you guys aren't getting it but uh yeah yeah i think my group was curious to play it again but they kind of their first play didn't go like everybody's been there's so much hype around this game everybody's been tweeting about it everybody's been playing it and talking about how it's the next best thing and um so i kind of thought it would instantly be a hit with everybody and that wasn't exactly the case so hopefully they're willing to play it again because i want to try it as the ghost player it's good I mean, it's getting really hyped up. I, and again, I think this is just the nature of our industry lately. It's just things are getting blown out of proportion. And I think it's um, I think it's good, but I would recommend most people. I wouldn't go out of your way to find a copy of it. So I, maybe I you wait. shouldn't contact the designer and order it from Ukraine for Christmas for someone? You shouldn't. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm really thankful Tiff got it for me. And he even signed my box. Did he sign your box? Mm-hmm. Mine says Did something he different. Did you... Did he wish you eternal youth of the soul? <laughs> <laughs> I forget what mine says. Mine says something completely different, though. Mine was awesome. It was very sweet, and it was cool. I think it um, was like, may all your dreams come true. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, no, I would. I think this game, it was, I was largely underwhelmed the first time I played it just because it had been hyped so much. And I was like, wait, this is just it? And after that wore off, then I felt good because the next time I went back in, I was like, okay, this game's fun and this game's cool. And I kind of forgot about the hype. But coming off the hype and playing it the first time, I was like, whoa, this is not at all what I was expecting. And that's, I got kind of bummed too after that two player game. Yeah. Because I was just like, that was, well, I looked over and you were done. I was like, you're 
you're done? I thought this was like a big game. This is like a thing. And yeah. you're like, no, we're just, we're done. It's more, over. More the merrier, in my opinion. Yeah. But I would definitely wait till the Asmo Day release. It's going to be, it's Xavier Colette. The art's going to be fantastic. Yeah. And this for game, those who already have, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, because for those who already have it, it's just like in an expansion. Yeah. So. The game was a hit when I we weren't even done. We had two more rounds, and Bree said, we're playing this damn game again because I'm going to beat this stupid thing. And I was like, okay, we got a winner. This is, you know, She was in it, and she was ready to play, so I was impressed at how approachable it was for someone who does not play a lot of games. But for someone who does play a lot of games, I was kind of like, meh. It was good. I, I mean, I recommend it. It's Dixit. It's Dixit. <laughs> I wonder if you could actually take Dixit cards and play with those as well if you were trying to get stale cards out of there i was gonna say i don't like dixit i definitely like this better than dixit but can you feel the comparison no i definitely it's it has a lot of dixit but it has more game to it I it feel had like. a lot of dixit <laughs> there's a lot uh, of dixit in it i didn't see <laughs> um now smee actually said the opposite he actually said he preferred dixit to that yeah well smee's um, wrong i forget his forget his reasoning i respect but, that yeah he said he enjoyed dicks it more so all right so mysterium up for debate all right well that was a little bit lengthy but uh that's what what we've been playing we've been getting a lot of games to the table here in this holiday season um and now we are going to go ahead and take a break and when we come back we'll have david mckenzie on the line and we've got an interview lined up with him so we'll talk a little bit about clever mojo games and what he's up to now and yeah so come back and join us for that So we're back, and that's a little bit of what we've been playing, and now we're honored to have uh, David McKenzie join us, the founder of Clever Mojo Games, who famous for publishing games such as Alien Frontiers, which is probably my favorite dice game ever, uh, as well as Sunrise City and Formula E and a bunch of other things. Um, so David's here to join us today to talk about um, the past, present, and future of what he's got going on and the ventures that he's undertaking now. So we're really excited to have you, David. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> Excellent. So let's just jump right into it. I know um, and Tiff, Tiff kind of informed me before we got on here that you, your intro into the board gaming hobby maybe is a little bit different than most. So I was just curious if you'd mind sharing kind of what got you into our little addiction and... Uh, why why it's become so ingrained in your life i guess um i don't know if it's so much different it, it's probably a lot uh, a lot shallower than most of you um i grew up gaming of course as a kid playing things like uh, risk and life and careers and all those sorts of games and then i kind of drifted away from it and then uh back in 2008 my brother introduced me to settlers of Catan, and that's probably everybody's drug of choice to begin with and uh, I just got the bug all over again and started thinking about new games I could design and my brother started thinking of new games he could design and then uh, we just decided to put it all together and become Clever Mojo Games Excellent So you mentioned your brother, your brother Fred McKenzie who's designed games such as uh, Princess of the Dragon Throne Monsters and Maidens which is one I just got Um, a couple others so uh, i know you have been and correct me if i'm wrong but you've been more of the the developing slash publishing side of things for the the duo yes 
and and Fred kind of is the the designer, so to speak. Yeah, he did more of the actual design work than than I did originally. So that's that's what he's good at. He's good at thinking of things. <laughs> sure. <laughs> now, is there any reason? Why, have you tried your hand at design? Is it something that you just have found that you prefer the developing end of things? Uh, I've got a couple of uh, of games in me. Uh, one of them actually is out at a publisher right now being evaluated. Uh, but pretty much I stay so busy with the production and, and development side that I don't, uh, get a whole lot of time to start working on my own projects. Yeah, I can imagine. Like Tiff and I have kind of tried our hand a little bit at design recently and it's just, where do you find the time to even like, look at these things? It's it's amazing. I have uh, so much respect for developers and publishers. (laughs) Um, yeah, I can imagine. So, one of your, I guess, was it your first game? Was Alien Frontiers the first game that Clever Mojo um, had its hand in? Uh, technically, no. The first game no. was actually one of mine. Uh, it was called uh, Ogre Castle. Oh, okay. And that was a totally homemade production. I did it all myself. Everything made and assembled and shipped and everything. And it was, it was a very simplistic game. But some people I know found it fun. Okay. Is that one we can find on eBay? <laughs> uh, you might. I doubt it. <laughs> I, th- I think Game Salute still has a few copies left, though. Oh, okay, cool. Typing in Game Salute right now. <laughs> now, are these, are these copies Game Salute has? Are these the handmade ones? Yeah, yeah. Ex- oh, that's cool. I- I'm, I'm always interested by that. I, uh, I know Tiff and I recently picked up um, Clinic from Albin Viard. Mm-hmm. Um, which he handmade himself and sh- and shipped over, and I, I I'm amazed by that. It's so cool when people can do that. Yeah, the uh, Ogre Castle has a cloth board that I that I, uh, I cut out from the from the you know, the cloth, of course, and then uh, frayed the edges and uh, had a silk screen uh, map put on the board, and it's all very fun. Oh wow. <laughs> And I you just should... ordered it. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> the wonders of the internet. You had me at cloth board. Ah, uh, that'll probably shock them at the game salute off. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this person ordering Ogre Castle? <laughs> oh, I love having weird stuff in my collection. Cloth board. I don't have anything with a cloth board. Yeah, that is pretty cool looking. Three to four players? Yeah. All right. I'm going to check this out. We're done here. <laughs> See, he won't be able to handle me having it him not. That's how that goes. They'll sell two copies in one day. It'll be, like, amazing. Well, well luckily, Game Salute has a money-back guarantee, so if you don't like it... You oh, stop. It. <laughs> <laughs> Is it big enough to be a tablecloth or a table runner, if, no. if all else fails? No, no, no. It's probably okay. about, about 14 inches square, probably, something like that. Oh, okay. Excellent. Um... That's cool. So, so that was your first Ogre Castle, and then I'm assuming you had probably some other designs here or there, but your first really big one was Alien Frontiers. Uh, Alien Frontiers was the next game. Yeah, so the that was a huge Kickstarter success back in the day. It was at 2011 or so, 2010? 2010. 2010. And made like, and, just under $15,000. Yep. And of course, now you can't even find a game that wants less than $15,000. Yeah. But at the time, that was huge, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, it was. It was three times what I asked for. <laughs> yeah. And 15000 now will get you, you know, upgraded 
cardstock or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the I, not one of the greatest games ever made, um, in my opinion. I really enjoy that game. So. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but that that's kind of steamrolled uh, kind of I guess the snowball effect and I guess it inspired a number of other small publishers to kind of pursue their dreams using Kickstarter as like the publishing medium and I'm just I'm interested because we've seen it evolve into such a, a viable way for kind of indie and even some established publishers to kind of fund their projects using either upfront capital from the project uh, funds themselves or just to use it as like a marketing tool to drive buzz. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you were one of the pioneers, I would say, uh, what are your thoughts now on the direction Kickstarter has taken? And do you kind of see it maintaining this kind of large stature in the industry? Yeah, I think it'll still be, I think it'll be around for a long time. Uh, back when I was starting it with, with Alien Frontiers, you could get away with a lot less professional look you could have the homemade kind of item on there that wasn't quite done yet. Nowadays, everyone really expects it to be finished and ready. And why isn't it in my mailbox yet? <laughs> yeah, we, we had a Kickstarter discussion a couple episodes ago and we had talked about, you know, expectations of Kickstarter projects. And it's, I think it's kind of, you almost want to see at least like 80%, you know, the project completion. You want to see some art. You want to see a whole bunch of things where, that kind of completely contradicts what you just said with the whole, you know, you can have more of that homemade feel, that entrepreneurial spirit kind of um, idea behind it. You really have to kind of put your best foot forward right away. Yeah, you do. So has that kind of, um, and I guess we can jump in now to what you've got going on now. You've recently, um, you were, Clever Mojo was bought out by Game Salute or merged. I'm sorry if I got the te- term wrong no, there, but you, you stayed on. Out. I bought out. Okay, excellent. Well, congrats. A little bit late, but congrats. <laughs> they bought. They bought uh, Clever Mojo and they bought me. So, the, excellent. Yeah, and you stayed on in, in a developer role, so to speak. Yeah, developer, project manager, that type of thing. And then you've recently. So this is where I'm going with this. You've recently left and you've pursued a new endeavor, and it's the, I guess, the Game Designers Clubhouse. Is that the official name of it? I know you've got like three separate areas that we can touch on, but. Yeah, um, Game Designers Clubhouse is the overall, the overarching thing. And then I have a play space that I call the Playtesters Clubhouse. Okay. And then I have services for managing other people's Kickstarters, which I call the Kickstarter Clubhouse. Okay, excellent. So you, can you give us a little bit of detail, kind of what triggered this? Um, I know you, rec- you recently left Game Salute and pursued this as your kind of, like I said, full-time endeavor. So could you kind of give us a little background on why why you left, maybe what caused this kind of change of thought? Were you just kind of itching to get back into it again? I've been pretty much employed, self-employed most of my life. And working for Game Salute was fine. It was great. I love them. They're great people. But it kind of, I kind of felt claustrophobic and I wanted to be out on my own again. So I I kind of got that entrepreneurial itch. So after uh, I was able to see that Clever Mojo was in good hands, I decided to go back on my own again and try something different. Okay. Now, how different have we gone? Is this, now you mentioned the different spaces you're working in now that, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this Game Designers Clubhouse is actually 
a physical workspace that you've kind of um, commissioned out in Seattle or yes, Washington? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in Edmonds, which is about you know 20 minutes north of Seattle. Okay. Um, but it's all one great big happy city here. Oh yeah, the um, whole side of the country is just one big happy place. We are. We're nice people. <laughs> I love it out there. Um, yeah, Game Designers Clubhouse is a physical office uh, workspace that I have here, where I've got all the tools necessary to work on game projects. I've got you know, work tables and computers and Adobe software and color printers and everything you need to design your game from the ground up, from your first little idea up to the prototyping and playtesting and then hopefully to a developer. Excellent. So is this, um, now you mentioned the workspace and it's actual an office, which is kind of cool. It's like a it's like the reverse of a game store. It's like what happened? Where you go before the game store? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so now, how does this? Um, now I'm sure. Now I know you recently started a Patreon, which is that mm-hmm. is that kind of helping to fund this kind of uh, venture that you're taking on? Because I'm sure that's not it's not an easy thing to have that physical workspace and all those tools available, which is great for designers. Well, uh, the tools I've built up over the years. I mean. So I've collected a lot of stuff over the years, and I've got a whole huge shelf full of bits and bobs for for game design. But yeah, the Patreon is is helping with that because what I'm doing there is I'm offering playtesting services to designers all around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they send their games to me, and I have a stable of playtesters here that I work with. And we videotape the game being played. Then we videotape a, a debriefing session after the game where we all just talk about the game, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we thought could be changed, that type of thing. And we've had good response with it so far. I mean, we've got uh, half a dozen games that are here now ready to start testing and probably another uh, dozen or so that are they're working on their prototypes so they can send them in. Excellent. Now, the big question is, how did you find playtesters? <laughs> that <laughs> seems to be the biggest, the biggest challenge for most designers. That's another thing I've been building up over the years. When I started working on Alien Frontiers, I started a meetup group. And at the time, I was lucky to find four or five playtesters who actually, thank goodness, dedicated themselves to come to my place for every week for a year to get alien frontiers totally smooth and, and perfect. And then the, for after that, they just kept coming. And now I've got a stable of several dozen play testers. They don't all come at once. I mean, they come in different groups and different days and things. And, uh, they help play test everything. Excellent. That's so cool. I want to move to Seattle cause it seems like the board gaming community in Seattle is amazing. There's a lot of in us. general. Yeah, there's a lot of us here. Yeah, you've got workspaces, you've got cafes, you got everything. We don't have anything here in Maryland, so Yeah, buddy. <laughs> got my mom's basement. There you go. <laughs> well, you get some people to come down there with you, and then you know you're you're set. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's great. So and then you mentioned uh, the Kickstarter piece of it. So you're actually gonna be help obviously you're tried and true. You've got some methods down of some experience. I'm sure that's beneficial for 
some some more fledgling uh, publishers or designers looking to get into Kickstarter. So is that is that something you're going to be offering as just like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a consultant role in a way? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I've already got my first uh, client for that. Um, Isaiah Viejo, who uh, who did the uh, Sunrise City game, has designed a new game that he's going to self-publish, and he's hired me to to, ha- to handle his uh, Kickstarter. And uh, that one is called Valeria Card Kingdoms. Oh, I was looking at that on Twitter earlier. That one looks awesome. And, and it'll be uh, coming to Kickstarter in early February. Excellent. Yeah, that one looks great. I liked. Uh, I really like Sunrise City. Yeah, it's it's a fun. I love that game. It, I just wish more people would would pick it up and and run with it because everyone who plays it loves it. But getting the people to sit down and play a city building game is not as easy as I thought it would be. Yeah. It's, it gives you that kind of like physical presence, though, like on the table. It's really neat looking the way the different layers are stacked. And mm-hmm. I really like that about that game, which is it's really cool. If there was cool. some way I could combine that with like King of Tokyo or something where the monsters come in and destroy the city afterwards, yeah. that <laughs> Just don't call it Rampage. And you're, no, okay. no, I, I wouldn't do that. I couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to republish it with. Some other ridiculously long title. <laughs> so, David, with your Kickstarter consulting, are there different levels that, that designers can get you working at? Different things that you can handle or they can handle? Or is it just kind of a all-inclusive, I can run your Kickstarter for you? Uh, I'm willing to do it at just about whatever level they want. Whether they want someone to come behind them and look it over and evaluate it. Or they want someone to build it and then they'll, then they'll run it. Or the whole kit and caboodle. Nice. Um, I can also, and what I'm doing, I'll be doing this for Valeria also if it funds, and I'm also going to be their production manager. So I will carry it through the printing printing process until it arrives here in the U.S. Oh, so you're like a one-stop shop. I can be, absolutely. (laughs) So let's jump into the new hotness, the Swinging Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge, which is currently on Kickstarter. Uh, David, this is the Game Design Clubhouse first project that you guys have launched. So it I was is. curious, could you give us the quick elevator pitch? Uh, there is no way to do an elevator pitch for Swing and Jive Cat. It is a crazy conglomeration of lots of things. Um, I've been working on this one for about four years, actually. Uh, back before I was, when I was at Clever Mojo, uh, Seth Roback, the designer, brought an idea to me. And we started working on it, and it's been through a lot of different uh, iterations and finally it settled down to what it's at uh what this is is it's kind of a contact building game where you are using your uh, voodoo powers in the 1950s cocktail era to make friends and influence people and if you can make the right contacts on the board in certain configurations you can uh, score the trend cards, which you score will score you uh, uh, cocktail monkeys for your scoring points. And then you hang these cocktail monkeys on your martini glasses, which are included in the game. And you can collect skull tokens to power your voodoo spells. And every card in the game has a cocktail recipe on it. So you can have some adult beverages while you are playing the game. I'm curious, David, what, what was the game originally like um, as a prototype that, that Seth brought to you? Was it originally um, this 
voodoo theme or did it have something else on it? It had some voodoo flavor to it at the time, but it was primarily a dice game about uh, mixing drinks and back bar activity. Oh. It has totally changed. Back bar activity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I know what that is. Maybe I'm too like innocent in Ohio here. Oh, I'm, no, no, no. What's no, back no. bar activity? Um, back room. He said back bar. Oh. <laughs> or bar back. You know, it, it's basically it's, <laughs> Sorry. it's going to the storage room to get more mixes and more drinks and more glassware and that kind of stuff. I got you. I drink at home, so it's not an You're issue. You're confusing this game with lap dance, Tiff. No, I'm not. <laughs> No, no. This is a family game as long as the family's twenty-one or over. I, I, for those listening, if you haven't already backed this after hearing that amazing elevator pitch, you said there was no elevator pitch, but you saw me on swinging monkeys and skulls and drinks. So and voodoo and voodoo. I mean, yeah, don't I don't know. It. It's it's like fear and loathing the board game. Uh, it's like Mad Men uh, and you know voodoo. I mean, what the, yeah. I don't know what to say. Reminds me of that. Uh, Reminds me of the James Bond one that takes place in New Orleans. Live and let die. Wow. Was that Live or Let Die? Yep. I don't remember which one that is. That was Sorry. the first Bond movie I ever saw. Oh, it's such a good one, too. I love I that saw, one. I saw it in a drive-in movie. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to all the drive-ins? Uh, I, was living, I was living out in the country back then. So you had mentioned some delays. This is four years in the making. Uh, what what kind of things were you experiencing? Was it just the standard development just wasn't right yet? Or was there actual... Because this thing, and we'll talk about it in a minute, this thing has some unique uh, gameplay, some unique components, a, a lot of different things. So I'm curious, was it, was it a little bit of everything? Uh, the biggest hang-up was the art, actually. Uh, the art is done by uh, Sergio Marcet, who's uh, in Spain, he did art for games like uh, Manhattan Project. Love um, it. Fabulous art. But because at the time when I originally contracted with him at Clever Mojo, I was not in that you know, super favorable financial situation, so I, I was able to get a very good deal for the art. But it meant it wasn't his priority gig. So it just took... A long time to get it all and there's a lot of art in the game yeah it lo- and it looks amazing it's well worth the wait if that was the biggest factor because that, that was that was the biggest the biggest factor on the waiting it's and kind of really sergi also did the uh, video for the kickstarter so he that was a, a wonderful thing as well oh that's great yeah i love the art it's so uh i don't know it's so vibrant colorful i love it it really gives a good flavor to it Yep. He really captured kind of what I would picture a voodoo lounge to be like in the next. <laughs> I mean, a how many? My time, but that's what I would think of. I mean, how many lounges can mix llamas and tiki's and volcanoes and devils? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So speaking of kind of the uniqueness of this game, I mean, we are huge. All three of us are huge fans of the, like fun and unique themes. I'm. I think we're all kind of tired of seeing you know, stoic gentlemen on the cover of our boxes pointing mm. into the landscape. And it's just one of those things I'm starting to get just tired of. Um, yeah. And this is one of the most unique things I've seen in a long time. So I'm curious, and, and Tiff kind of touched on it before, but I'm going to give you the old board game chicken and egg question. What okay. what came first for this design? Was it theme or mechanics? Because I'm 
curious. It's just one of those things that with 1950s cocktail voodoo culture, it's not one of the first things that pops into my head when I wake up. No. Uh, if, if, you had, if you had met Seth, the designer, I don't think you could actually ask that question because Seth is like a fountain spewing ideas and thoughts and, and concepts and I mean, he is from this period, even though he was born 30 years later, okay. he, is, he is this, this period of time. And he's like a beatnik poet and, um, a voodoo priest all in one. No. He, just exudes, he just exudes this stuff. He's great. And, you know, after we got away from the, the bartender aspects of it and just started working on the, on the, uh, building connections through a lounge, it just all flowed together. And, and he was just totally his, his essence is in this game. It is totally crazy and wild and, and weird. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good summation of what I kind of picture when I look at it. Weird in a good way. No, yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm a huge fan of weird. Like I said, I'm just, you're I friends with really me. Nice. What's up? I said, you're friends with me. Yeah, it doesn't get weirder. Um, <laughs> so, again, keeping on the uniqueness of this this game, and this has some really interesting components that I'm not sure I've seen in a board game before. So you've got some cocktail monkeys that hang from martini glasses with some little skulls, and then the cards themselves actually are cocktail recipes. So... Were these, I guess this kind of touches on what we were talking about before, but were these kind of components an afterthought or is this kind of just come along as the theme developed? And Yeah, it how... just came along as it developed. I mean, we wanted it to be kitschy. We wanted it to be Mad Men. We wanted it to be uh, bizarre. So, <laughs> I mean, I wanted every every card to have a recipe on it so that the people could, you know, like I say, have an adult beverage while they play. And we wanted the unique things like the martini glasses because that soul it sells the theme. And once you've got martini glasses, you've got to have cocktail monkeys. So that was just a natural add-on. And then you got voodoo, so you got to have something to make voodoo work. So why not have skulls? So we've got these skulls. And if we make all of our stretch goals, these skulls are going to be as big as your thumb and carved with little with little uh, voodoo veves on them. So. It's going to be wonderful. That sounds amazing. Well, you already have my 50 bucks, so you don't have to sell me on it. <laughs> yeah, and thanks to you, I, I've discovered quite a few different types of cocktail charms in searching for extra monkeys. Yeah. yeah it's good. <laughs> my I've got some mermaids over here, too. Yeah, I was going to say, there are mermaids. Can we incorporate those somehow? I'm, I'm trying to think of an expansion, exactly. Perfect. Yep. Yep, we've Voodoo got mermaids, mermaids to play with. Voodoo mermaids sounds good. Mermaids, Sirens, yeah. something along those lines. So with these kind of unusual components, how does that, from, from the publisher standpoint, how does that affect your production? It's just one of those, where do you find these things to source for the game? Is it something that like <laughs> a lot of people carry cocktail monkeys uh, for board games? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> I start started looking on Alibaba, of course. That's the, the first place you go if you want to find something... Uh, in in large quantities from China, and then I sent that link to the uh, the publishers we're using, the, the manufacturers we're using, um, and they got in contact with people through there, and they've got all the stuff narrowed down and ready to go. 
Good old Alibaba. You can always find yep. something good there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So looking at your Kickstarter page, um, you've got something that we all, I think, really enjoy, and that's transparency. Your Kickstarter page is nicely laid out. Everything we need to know about it is there. And you've also kind of included something that's refreshing that we don't see a lot of projects have, and that's the actual breakdown of the costs, which for me I find to be both informational and educational because – you know, as someone involved on board games from a review and podcast media kind of side of things, I don't really always know all the behind-the-scenes stuff. So it's nice to see what kind of costs come out of your pocket um, for the production side of things. So is transparency something that, you know, is at the forefront of your mind when you're thinking Kickstarter? Because I, I know a lot of people probably will appreciate what, what you've done there for them. Yeah, it is. Um, if, if anyone were to visit my website at... Uh... Uh, GameDesignersClubhouse.com. I've got right there on the front page the the guiding principles that I live by, and those are team and truth and trust. And together, all of those things are how I operate. And truth and trust is is right there in that piece at the bottom of the page, letting people know exactly what it is that their money is going for. Another thing is this game has a huge goal, $33,000. You look at that and say, yeah, cocktail monkeys and martini glasses are cool, but is it really worth $33,000? And yeah, when you add in all the things you have to pay for besides the manufacturing, you have you, know, you, you give free postage to the USA, but you've still got to pay for it. You mm-hmm. give discounted postage to Europe and Canada, but you've still got to pay for it. You have to pay for the Kickstarter fees. You have to pay for people who cancel their, their pledges. I mean, all of it works together to affect the actual goal you've got to get. I mean, you printing the game may be $15,000, but you add in all that other stuff, and you've got a huge, got a huge uh, uh, budget. No, I can, yeah, I can imagine. It's a lot to take account for. And a lot of people, I think, when we were talking earlier about people being up in arms about it, why is it not at my doorstep and things like that, I think... People don't really understand what goes into it, and I think that's where that angst and that anger comes from um, for some projects. So, it's, yeah. like I said, it's nice to see that you've laid it out for people, so there really isn't any question as to where their funds are going. That's I mean, thirty-three thousand dollars. We're making that right now while we're doing the podcast. So, I mean, that's we're heavily sponsored. What? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> is there something you're not telling us, Dan? <laughs> Another know? important thing is that. That $33,000, that's not any payment to me. That's all going out for expenses and costs. The only money I make is when the game is done and released and then goes to retail sale. That's where I make some money on my end. Sure. So, yeah, I'm not like, I'm not like padding that budget so I can stuff my pockets. Yeah, I think it's, it's a huge eye-opener, even for us who are pretty immersed in board games and I've backed a bajillion board game Kickstarter projects to see it all laid out and to think about, you know, I never really think about failed credit cards, but it's in there and it's nice to see just everything accounted for. And the fact that you don't make money off of it, it's a real eye opener, I think for, or it's going to be a real eye opener for people. I hope so. I'm an auditor by day, so I thoroughly appreciate the breakdown <laughs> cost. <laughs> oh, you poor boy, you. Yeah. <laughs> Even the small overage fee you put on there was amazing. 
<laughs> got a huge chuckle out of that. Down to the penny. Excellent. So, um, you had mentioned earlier in the podcast that you've signed some games coming up. Um, do you want to go ahead and talk about anything? Uh, plug anything you got coming up for the future with the Game Designers uh, Clubhouse or anything else? Sure, sure. Uh, like I said, I've got the uh, the Valeria Card Kingdoms game uh, from Isaias Vallejo. He's uh, going to be releasing that on Kickstarter in early February. Uh, I just signed a game this morning, as a matter of fact. Tiffany was tweeting about this earlier. Uh, Jay Treat, a uh, game called Big Business. Oh. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of a uh, card drafting, engine building game. It's a lot of fun. So I just signed that. So uh, going to be diving deeply into that now with the uh, with playtesting and further development. And I know you mentioned before you have a Patreon going. So is there? Um, how can people check that out? Uh, Patreon.com slash Game Designers Clubhouse. Okay. And uh, you know, if you've got a game, if you're a designer and you've got a game that you want to have some blind playtesting done, then we may be able to help you out. Excellent. Well, that's all I had. Does anyone else have anything for David? I don't think so. We appreciate you coming on and telling us a little bit more about the games. Happy yeah. to. Happy to. Thank you for the opportunity. Now, yeah. Now, how long does uh, Voodoo Jive Cat Lounge? <laughs> <laughs> Try again, Dan. Okay, how uh, many of those martinis have you had already? Now? What I, what screwed me up is I put the I just put the acronym and I just like what what does this mean again? <laughs> that should help you organize. <laughs> uh, it'll be running through um, uh, February fifth, I believe. February fifth, excellent. Yeah. And for everyone out there listening, go check it out. You won't regret it. Um, and be sure to head over to the site because Tiff has a preview of it if you don't believe us. so It's awesome. Go spend yeah. your money on it. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. So, thanks again, Dave. I really appreciate you coming on. Happy to. All right. We'll be right back with our New Year's board gaming resolutions. <laughs> So thanks again to David McKenzie for joining us. And now we're going to move on to our next segment, our New Year's board gaming resolution. So we are, you know, a little bit into 2015. And as Dan said in the beginning of the show, New Year, New Me. New Year, New Me. <laughs> Stick it on <laughs> your shelf, to... Dan. <laughs> I'm going to throw you off the shelf. I'm going to trade you. Oh. 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 Board game insults. Yep, board game insults coming hard. <laughs> so <laughs> it's time to start thinking about how we can, you know, change. What we want to change for 2015, do things a little bit differently. So we've got some resolutions that we each came up with. And, you know, hopefully we're going to stick to these, right? I guess we can use a show to check back in on them. Yeah, we can go through these every once in a while. I know some of these I've planned to blog about. NonsenseCoolGamers.com. Um our obligatory so, plug. <laughs> yeah, you can you can stay tuned for this and keep me on my toes and make sure I'm <laughs> all right. Well, doing things. How about you kick it off, Dan? What is one of your uh, your resolutions for 2015? I'm not giving y'all my Kickstarter money anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I am seriously cutting back on Kickstarter. Um, I really need to be a little bit more selective. That's not to say what I have backed in the past has been bad. Um, Although most everything has been delayed, which is kind of annoying. Yet, as I've mentioned before, when we talked about Kickstarter, 
I understand it to a certain degree. Um, but I just, I just dipped into my checking account way too much, um, for these, uh, projects when there's so many good things on the shelf at the game store that I, I wanted to buy as well. So I'm trying to balance it a little bit better. I'm trying to be a little more frugal as a gamer, which then will lead into some of my other resolutions, which kind of involve playing my games more. So Kickstarter, definitely a little more selective in what I back and try to, you know, keep the cost down. I think it's easier to be more selective right now because I think Kickstarter is far enough along that you realize that a lot of the games that you're backing are going to come out in retail and they're going to come out in retail pretty quickly after they come out to the backers. So at least for me, it seems like I don't necessarily need to make that a resolution because it's just been easier for me to hold off on them now. Yeah, no, and also they're going to come out in retail and online like two weeks after backers get it and they'll probably be half price, which <laughs> as a backer, True. it's kind of disheartening. Yeah. Um, I understand I'm there to help fund the project and the creative process, which I have no problem with, but it's also kind of disheartening to see it go, you know, on a flash sale, yeah. you know, the next day after I got, you know, after I waited nine months for my copy. So it, yeah, I agree. It's been a little easier lately. I've been holding off the last couple months, but I went full fledged, diving into the ocean yeah. of Kickstarter well, earlier. So 2015 might be a good time to get back to basics with Kickstarter and really think about what projects do you want to fund that might not exist if you don't back it. Sure. So maybe maybe look into that. Um, I'm definitely all for that. I don't back quite as many Kickstarters, but being selective, I think, is better. There's so many good things on the shelves already. So, Tiff, how about you? New Year's resolutions. What you got? Um, I am going to try to designate a weekly time to learn rules. That is my big resolution. Because I, I think the, the thing is with my group, I sometimes complain that I don't get to play the games that I want to play. And it's because they're, they don't want to sit there and learn the rules together. They want to be taught a game. And I always can't find the time to learn the rules to teach the game. And that's why my games don't get played. So I'm just, I need to really block out a time. Like I block out a time for the podcast. Like I block out a time for all my other gaming activities to learn rules. So I can teach them at game night. So I can get some of the heavier games that I own played a little bit more often. Yeah. Well, while we talk on the podcast, you can just read rule books. Ooh, good idea. Like when you're talking about Tosh Kalar or Imperial Assault, I'll just bust out a rule book. There you go. Or euphoria. <laughs> no, I'll I be did. too busy shaking my fists at the microphone. Well, I, I won't be able to see that, but you shake away. <laughs> I think that's a good resolution. I think that that's something, I don't know, we don't run into too many problems with rules because usually if we really want to play a game, we'll prioritize it. But I know that there's some things on our shelves, like I've got Tragedy Looper that I just haven't dug into. And I know Dan has some other games that are still sitting on the shelf without being read. Um, so that might be something that we all consider taking some time to read some rule books, maybe reading rule books right when we get the game instead of yeah. getting a game and sticking it on the shelf and six months later talking about it. Well, that comes back to being selective again. Yeah. So cause yeah. I have too many damn games, which equals too many damn rule books. Yeah, I don't have a problem with having too many games. I, I've, ex I've accepted that and, and that's fine. I can stick it on the shelf and then learn the rules later. 
But I find a lot of times I'll read the rule book right away and then it won't get played until several months later. So I just need to like make a schedule. Like I'm going to learn these rule books this week and and really stick to it. I I shy away from teaching rules. I don't want to be that person that ruins a game because I tend to miss things. Like I think the first time I taught my group Speakerstadt, I messed up how the money worked and they hated the game because money was super tight. Money is already tight in that game, but I messed up the rules and made it so much worse for them. And now I can't get them to play anymore. So I'm like afraid to teach rules is what's happened. I think what happens with us too, with our group is that we all have so many games and we all have so many new games that, you know, some people are like, oh, they don't want to play my game or I don't want to play this game. And I think we just need to prioritize and take turns and just say, okay, you pick a game tonight, followed by my game pick, followed by your game pick. And then we can kind of get more of these games that we've spent the time reading and punching and to the table. Yeah, and that actually transitions well into one of my resolutions, which which is, I, I said just be more decisive, but I think it's like we need to come up with a system for how to pick our games. And I'm not saying like, well, yeah, I just, I'm just trying to think of a way to pick games because I know we all have games that we want to play. And for the most part, we're all willing to play almost every game. Like, I can't think of too many games that we're like, no, I'm not playing that. It's, I w- don't really want to play that, but we kind of have to give and take. I think we're all willing to play something once. Yeah. But at the same time, we all have different tastes. Our tastes have kind of been a little bit divergent, I guess would be the word recently. I think you and Ben have kind of gone more Ameritrash. Me and I always kind of go more Euro, and we got to find that happy medium where we just meet in the middle and play all kinds of well, stuff. I mean, part of that goes into the just the habits of like what games we own. So you heavily buy into Euro games, so we heavily buy into Ameritrash games. So then when like we're just doing our side gaming groups, we just play what we have, which is Ameritrash. But I agree, like tastes are different. But we're pretty open to playing different things, so we just need to we need to find a way to get them to the table, and maybe just be more open minded about playing different games. We need our group to be more communicative. Is that the word I'm looking for? And <laughs> when we're going to play games as well, because it's so hard to plan a damn game night. I play every day. Someone wants to play a game. Well, that's yes. very lucky. You, I said our group. I said our group. Yeah. Which is sad because we used to have a re- pretty regular thing going, but everyone's kind of been busy and had their own things going on, so. I'm here every weekend. I get that, but some of these heavier euros. He's not euros. talking about you. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't want to play heavy euros with just well, me. Some heavy euros with two players are a bore. Like I can't play Panamax with two. I can't play some of these other ones with two. Some of them don't even play two. There's plenty of games you can play with two players. I can get that. Yeah, I need to get my. I mean, that's kind of one of my resolutions is just to plan game nights in advance. We have a standing Thursday night game night, but I uh, we don't plan what we're gonna play if we communicated like on an email chain because I think you guys do that, and I want to do that with my group. I want to like talk to them through the week what everybody's thinking about. I tend to be the person that buys all the games, so they'd have to pick from my collection <laughs> for the most part. But um, I think if we planned it out better it would end up happier. We have an email chain. Whether people respond to the emails that are sent is a different story, but it's it's been good. I mean, we always just throw it out there. Hey, I don't want a game tonight. I'll be around. And sometimes people respond, sometimes they don't, but he never responds. Matt never responds. Because I'm just always a, here. He's just assumption. <laughs> I'm a constant. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> so, so, Dan, what you got? Uh, my next one, I think I want to try that 10 by 10 challenge that's going to be brutal because i am very much in the call to the new and even just with the site and everything we sometimes have to be called to the new 
with playing so many different games, it's hard to get something played 10 times. Um, I don't even know what 10 games I would pick. They're both saying to me right now that it's not that hard, but it is very hard when you don't have act when you don't have access to playtime as much as you guys do. I I play like once a week, maybe twice. Okay, let's stop right there. I'm <laughs> shaking my head, not not because I don't think that that is hard. That is hard. I don't have time to play games during the week. I have one game night a week that I go to, one, and I don't have a standing army of friends either. So remember. <laughs> I, I talk to you. That's who I talk to. And you're too many states away. For instance, try getting, you think we could get Kanban to the table 10 times? That would no. be hard as shit. Exactly. No, we could if you brought Kanban 10 times. But it's like, hey, we played Kanban once. Now let's play these other 12 games that I bought too. I think the kind of games that, that you are interested in tend to be longer. So. Either way, I think <laughs> that the, the problem for us is like we want to – well, I want to play games more than once. So – Back on topic, I think that the 10 by 10 this is actually one that's on my list because I did a 10 by 10 joint with Kelly B this year, and we didn't finish it. We still have some time left, but I think I'm just going to call it quits. Um, the games that we picked, we just haven't been able to get to play. But 10 by 10 did inspire us to play games many times in a row, or like multiple times. So it gave us kind of a list of like, these are games that we agree on that we like. And if we were ever in the moment, like, let's play a game, we just went to the 10 by 10 list, and it made the decision-making a lot easier. So I fully support your idea of you jumping in on a 10 by 10 because then it'll make it'll be like, let's just play one of these 10 games. And I'll be like, cool, let's just jump in on one of those 10 games. Um, and I would love to do a personal one so I could actually finish the full 100 plays. Uh, I definitely played 100 times in the last year, but they weren't those 10 games that I picked. If you guys could coordinate your 10 by 10, you would definitely get it done. Yeah, it's. I think it's a good idea. As long as it doesn't have euphoria on it, I'm all for it. <laughs> I just don't get it. I can't wait to have the euphoria episode. I don't think it's ever going to happen. You know what I we might, should do is just I clip out all of Dan's euphoria insults and, and just make a clip episode of it. We don't need to. He's said enough. Okay, sorry. I totally, well, I totally sidetracked your whole 10 by 10 conversation. I didn't mean to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if I can make a list, but I probably could. That's where I'm going to start. I'm not making promises. I think I'd like to see what your list is, like what your 10 games are. It would be 10 heavy Euro games, so I would probably never get it played, but I will make a list. Send me the and list. Anyone who wants to play these games with me can play these games with me. And they won't be solo games because I don't do solo gaming. Have you tried solo gaming? I mean, it could help with I your 10 by 10. I get bored out of my mind solo gaming. To be honest with you. I, I do board games to be social. I don't do board games to sit by oh, myself. Weird. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no offense to anyone who plays solo games. I understand it's a it's usually circumstance and other things involved. I just I can't focus. I need the, the table talk, the interaction, the other breathing humans. They don't have to be breathing as long <laughs> as they just take their turns. You can play with the undead. You're, you're fine with that. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Like I said, as long as they take their turns and give me a little bit of a challenge. Or ghosts. <laughs> In any case, a 10 by 10 challenge is interesting, and I respect people that can do it. I just know that if I made that a resolution, it wouldn't happen. I, yeah. I My group would love it because they want – I think there's a few of them in there that really want to play games more than once, <laughs> but that's not me. <laughs> 
this pains me. No, I mean I like playing games more than once. Just I, I know I know how I am. I know I won't play anything ten times. Variety is the spice of life, right, Tiff? I've come. That's pretty, why you get ten of them. I've come pretty close to playing La Isla that many times. I might have played La Isla ten times by now. Well, there you go. I think the only game I played ten times this year was Sushi Go. Oh, I played that ten times easily. Maybe Eggs and Empires. Maybe but... Camel Up. Yeah, Let's Camel start Up's listing close. games. They're all they're all light games though, and I would much prefer to get some heavier stuff in. Well, so you pick a few. When I did my ten by ten with Kelly B, we we mixed it up. We had light games, we had heavy games, we had Star Realms on there, which we played ten times in a day, and then we had bigger things like Euphoria and and Zombie Side and things like that, which you don't play ten times in a day. So I don't know. I think that the ten by ten is a, a unique way to kind of mix up. And just get ten games to the table that you like. So, because you can get burned out on heavy euros. Ten your ten heavy euros. You can get burned out on heavy euros. Well, the thing with a lot of heavy euros is you don't really see the the beauty of it until you've played it five, six, seven times. Well, yes. Yeah, so, but that kind of contradicts your the idea that you want to play. You don't want to play games five times in a row or five times. I know, but I like. I like to. I don't know what I want to play. That's my whole problem. It's not that I don't want to play them more. I don't know what I want to play because I like experiencing different things. It's a good start. I think that even if you don't complete it, it's a good way to just give you some direction in your gameplays. Tiff, what you got? Well, um, I don't think it's a. It's not really has to do with playing games, but um, I want to write every week, even if it goes nowhere. Um, so reviews and blog posts, I have been slacking off and I just want to, it's another scheduling thing. My whole resolution for this year is to just be a little bit better with my time management and, and schedule in a time for writing and just write something, even if it's never going to go anywhere, just have something going all the time and maybe, maybe have some more posts out this year. That's one of mine too. So thank you for crossing that off my list. I definitely want to. I want to blog or do something at least once a week, um, more so than I already do now. Yeah, I write too slow to put something out once a week. I've I acknowledge that that's going to be impossible, but I could probably put something out bi-weekly if I really put my mind to it. The problem is, is I get sucked into like binge watching White Collar or something like that instead of writing. I just finished Scandal, so I feel you. I also watch Marco Polo. Thank you for that. Uh, was that good? I liked it. I have three episodes left. Well, I have another one that's kind of outside the realm of actual, like, playing games, just like you guys. You know, I'm thinking about, I wrote this down as refining my podcasting shit and getting it together. So I, I kind of want to get, I don't know, I want to become a better podcaster. So whether that's in the back end editing with effects and cleaner recording or, you know, maybe looking into some different equipment and programming to help us get a bet, you know, make the show better, but then also exposure, you know, new interviews, new ideas, keep things fresh. I mean, we're 14 episodes in and I'm loving it. And it's something that I'd like to focus on this year about kind of making things better. So um, that's one of my resolutions. I don't know how, what shape that's going to take, but it's on my mind. I feel like that should have been one of my resolutions. Thanks, Matt. I'm going to add that to the list. <laughs> Be better at what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I, I'm afraid to take on too much, so I'd, I'd like to refine what I'm already involved in, So, because I know I'm, I'm not 100%. So, You two do that, and I'm just going to talk. Well, you are yep. the talent, so it's fine. Thank you. Yep. No, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to make the site run better. So <laughs> it's not the opposite. They run concurrently. No, <laughs> they're both separate entities with extremely hard work on both ends. So I think they need equal attention. 
which is good because we have people that'll do both, which is great for us as a site as a whole. So is that your next one? Well, I just piggybacked off yours. Did My, you want to elaborate? No, I just want to get the, like I said, the site, nonsensicalgamers.com. Um, just getting more frequent posting, as Tiff was saying. So getting some contributions from everyone and just keeping it keeping it going. Because we've, we've had a great year, ton of new followers on Twitter, Facebook, lots of page hits. Publishers are starting to recognize us. So, yeah, it's been great. So I just want to keep that momentum because I think we've built it up. And then adding the podcast has just been even more. So good job, everyone. High five. Virtual high five. <laughs> yep, virtual high five. All right, Tiff, next up. Oh, I'm done. Well, okay. <laughs> Tiff doesn't have a lot to resolve. She's trying to say she's perfect. No, I'm not. I just, there's a lot of things that... I think that are the typical like board gaming resolutions that I've accepted that I'm not going to ever be able to do, like play every single game in my collection. Like I'm not going to stop buying games. So I'm always going to have a couple unplayed sitting on my shelf, maybe 10, maybe 20. I don't know. But I, I, I've tried to have those resolutions and I like to set my bar nice and low. So I'm not disappointing (laughs) myself later on, but I don't know. I have help design a board game. Oh, that's my next one. Yeah. Well, chat about it. Oh. Well, no, that's my... <laughs> that that's was my... my segue. Oh, that's my last one, is to design one. We'll see. I'm having fun. I'm reading a lot up on board game and game theory, and I, I really enjoy it. And I think it's also kind of helped kind of refine my analysis in a way, too. It's kind of cool to kind of see how people think when they're actually designing it, so then when I'm playing it and reviewing it, I can kind of uh, connect the inner working, so to speak, and maybe say, oh, this is probably what he was thinking, and... Especially with some of those games that don't have theme and they're basically mechanics. I kind of find myself now saying, oh, this is kind of how they're linking this to this and what they're doing here and there. Where it's not as intuitive based on the theme, how the mechanic came about. It's just been fun to... And I don't say this out loud. I just do this in my head. Um, But as Tiff will attest, I kind of have random thoughts on a daily basis that I write down and or send to her (laughs) about something that I'd like to design. So maybe putting pen to paper. No, I enjoy those texts. Those have been good and got they get my brain thinking about games a lot more often and um, have helped me realize that I could probably do it eventually. Um, so I, I hope I hope that happens by the end by this time next year that a game actually comes out of it. Virtual high five. We'll get Matt to play tests. All right. Well, that's kind of a roundabout discussion about our uh, New Year's board game resolutions for 2015, and we'll have to uh, keep track of them and check back in on how everyone's doing. Tiff with her rules reading, and me with my 10 by 10 and Dan with whatever the heck he wants to do, his game design, and things like that. But yeah, so if you want to chime in on our resolutions or some resolutions of your own, be sure to head over to the Guild. We'll have a, a topic posted up there where you can post your own resolutions. But... For now, I guess that's kind of a wrap on episode 14 of the podcast of Nonsense School Gamers. So, Tiff, if people wanted to reach out for you, reach out for you. If you wanted to reach out to you, where can they find you? Don't reach out for me. <laughs> I am at, sorry. I am at Inept Gamer on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on the League's handle, at League Nonsense, or my personal one, which is at Scandalous Ned. I think I might change that, though. I might make it at Nonsensical Ned. All right. So people know it's me. Keeping the nad, though. It, it's alliteration. <laughs> I like that. And that's what everyone calls me. So, uh, And I am at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. 
So be sure to join us for episode 15 coming out in two weeks. We will have our most anticipated games of 2015. And we will also be joined by Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback, the designers of Fleet and Eggs and Empires, along with some other cool games. But for now, we can say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. That's, that's my Dan <laughs> voice. I ordered a pop filter. This, I, I heard. I thought you didn't need that. I didn't think I did, and then I heard some, and I was like, mm, "Couldn't." Do work. I need one? Mm, I don't know. Sometimes. I don't know what it does, so you would have to. What tell it does me. is it takes Honestly, out. Honestly, I would just be like, "Okay, that's cool. I'll get one." Like when you have a B or a P sound that's really explosive. B. See, I usually don't even say those that loud. Yeah, you don't. My explosive letters are S. I was gonna say it's your problem is always with S. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's because I'm a snake. Slither snake. I'm a slithering. I'm a parcel tongue. <laughs> What's my problem? You say to the table. Like, you say no, to the table a lot. I'm going to start drinking every time you say to the Ooh, table. Ooh, let's do that. It would be fun. I say a lot of things. We let's all make do. our I own drinking we'll game and like, then we can play it. This, I say this and Tiff says this. I say we basically. It's basically blah, blah, blah. Every time you do this into the mic. Yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I'm going to drink just heavily all the time. Mm, okay. Hey, bring your beer to the table. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and get into the new hotness, uh, David. It's the Swingin' Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge, which is going to hit Kickstarter. Oh, shit. Sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I apparently can't travel into the future very well. Do you do a blooper reel after all this? We do. We do actually. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm typically on it. If you haven't, it's usually all all Dan or Dan ridiculing me. One of those two things. (laughs) Is that that only because you and Matt edit out yourselves? (laughs) I I edit out myself thoroughly every single time. Yeah. It's amazing. I don't remember saying any of the stuff they find for the outtakes. But 